Hello and welcome to this episode of our patient podcast series where we will introduce you to some of the fantastic patient groups we work with here at VMLY and RX. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jane Bressington, Vice Chair of Just Cancer UK, a charity that supports patients with gastrointestinal strobal tumours and funds research to improve treatments and find a cure for this rare cancer. Jane is also the patient director for Pause Gist, a specialist clinic for paediatric and adolescent gist patients. Thanks so much for joining us, Jane. You're welcome. <laughs> so first of all, it'd be great to know a little bit about how Just Cancer UK started and why you got involved. Okay, um, well, um, many years ago, um, before 2009, um, GIST uh, was actually classified in many different ways and um, when patients were diagnosed the outlook was very um, bleak um, and most often doctors, many, most doctors hadn't actually heard of GIST either. So when patients were diagnosed, um, it was, a, it was a, not, not only a you know, cancer diagnosis is always going to be something pretty terrible, but to be diagnosed with a type of cancer that not even most doctors know about was um, a very lonely place. And at the time, um, patients um, were invited to um, come together under the banner of sarcoma. And apparently there were some, because sarcomas are also rare cancers, and um, they were invited to go to some patient meetings. And because of those patient meetings, they, they managed to meet some other GIST patients. And of all the different types of sarcoma, GIST is um, the most common, um, but still obviously rare. And having met a few times at these meetings, the GIST patients, there were probably about I think six or seven of them that managed to make contact with each other. It was agreed they had real benefit from having met one another, sharing their background stories and the things they were having to um, you know, cope with. And um, I think at the time, one of the pharma companies recognised that they were benefiting from this. So they were offered a small amount of money to set up a meeting specifically for GIST patients. And um, from there, they decided, well, it would be a good idea if we were to set ourselves up as a charity, an entity that you know was in the public domain where any other person that was diagnosed with GIST could find us. And um, so initially they, they set up, I mean, they're very um, entrepreneurial, I suppose, set of patients. You know, they, they were they were very well equipped. So um, obviously this a lot of this was done in the kitchen, for example. So the lady who became the chair, her husband, um, ended up creating um, a database, he, he created a website, um, he facilitated um, a helpline system, you know, all this sort of technical stuff being developed in their kitchen. <laughs> and um, so um, it was actually registered as a charity in 2009 and at the time um, was called GIST Support UK because the idea was to support GIST patients. So anybody newly diagnosed had the, the ability to ring a helpline that was manned by people who also had GIST, so they could talk firsthand about it. And um, there was a website that gave them information and they um, held two regional patient meetings each year and, and were able to get funding for that to be able to, to do that. So to begin with, patient numbers were small because obviously, um, there wasn't uh, 
it wasn't easy to reach out necessarily that quickly to such a rare patient um, group. But then they started to develop some um, information booklets which they supplied to hospitals. So there's a booklet called GIST for beginners. Um, there's eating after surgery for um, GI or for GIST. And um, you know other booklets have come along the way. So GIST Support UK provides those booklets to hospitals throughout the UK so that their clinicians and the nurses that specialise in GIST in those locations can give these booklets to patients. So through time, um, the word got out about the existence of GIST Support UK. And a couple of years ago, we actually changed our name to GIST Cancer UK so that our name actually was more descriptive of, of what we are, because even though we said we were GIST Support UK, GIST wasn't still obviously a cancer to the world at large. It, you know, it could be anything, it could be a logistics company or something, which there happens to be a company called GIST Logistics. <laughs> uh, stops us getting reference requests for lorry drivers now. Um, so I became involved. Um, I, I wish, you know, if, if I'm honest, I wish I'd never got involved. I wish it had never been necessary for me to get involved. But my my 15 year old daughter was diagnosed with this cancer, which very few people knew anything about in 2010. And um, even though we did manage to find GIST Support UK, um, when we went to see the specialists in this country, um, the outlook from them was all very similar. They said <coughs> there was um, no treatment for her because her um, GIST had already metastasized um, at diagnosis. It was a large GIST in her stomach and um, it had already spread to her liver and her lymph nodes. So there's no no treatment, no cure. And they said no research and that that just seemed an impossible outlook you know if nobody's researching it how on earth are you ever going to find a cure um so just support uk um introduced us to two other families that they knew um had daughters with this condition but that was the only two they knew at the time and our doctor in bristol um dr stephen lois um, he did some research because he could see how desperate we were and um, he found this specialist clinic in America um, at the National Institutes of Health. And at the time he said, well, I think um, you might even have to go and live in America. You know, you might have to move there because that's the only place I can find in the world that's got anything going on for this type of cancer in a, in a child. So um, we signed up and went to the clinic in Washington and we were there for three days or Bethesda, I think it is just outside Washington. We were there for three days and they they'd been going for five years this specialist clinic and they um had flown in a whole sort of multidisciplinary team of doctors who had an interest in this um pediatric wild type gist as they called it at the time and their advice at the time was very opposite to the advice we were getting in the uk in the uk they were saying eve eve my daughter needed to have her stomach removed like now and in America, which the whole prospect of that horrified me, I just couldn't imagine anybody you know, surviving without a stomach. And in America, they said, no, she must hang on to her stomach as long as possible because she's got to absorb nutrients and, um, you know, live as as normally as possible. Um, obviously, you need to keep any bleeding under control. Um, so we came back armed with all this information and, and it, it felt like we were then able to take control of what was actually happening in our lives. So we we said, no, Eve's not having her stomach removed. We're going to carry on as we are. 
um, always hoping that there would be a treatment that could be found uh, that would shrink tumours, make them go away, etc. So that she didn't have to have such terrible surgeries. But the, the other thing it, it gave me was um, rage, anger, I suppose. Why didn't we have something like this in the UK? I mean, it was just crazy that, you you know, families, the only place they could go was America. So I spoke to Just, Count to, sorry, Just Support UK and said, um, I want to set up a clinic. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but um, I need to obviously to connect with the doctors that you know, and I'll see if we can find some more by Google searches. Um, so that's what we did. We wrote a letter. Um, I said, I'm, I don't need, I, I'm not asking for funds from Just Support UK. And they said, well, that's good because we haven't got any. <laughs> and and um, obviously my family, friends, network of uh, associates, everyone was was very supportive. They all got cracking with fundraising. And um, we, we managed to find, of the 33 people that we sent the letter to, um, 11 of them came back and said, yes, they agreed. They wanted to set up something in the UK. It, it, it was uh, needed. And Dr. Ramesh Balusu from Cambridge stepped forward and said, I, I don't just want to be part of it. I want to lead it because I've got patients that I need to do more for and I, I want to try and find some answers. So that's how. Just Cancer UK was born and then within Just Cancer UK we have this initiative called Paul's GIST which stands for Paediatric Adolescent Wild Type and Syndromic GIST and um, there's, an, there's an awful lot to be done um, you know we've, we've set up the infrastructure for research we've, we've got uh, a national GIST tissue bank now we've got national GIST registry we collect samples from um, the Paediatric Wild Type GIST operations and try and grow cell lines um, and in fact, I was involved in one of those only yesterday. They, they don't happen that often, you know, two or three a year. But when they do happen, it, you know, everything, all the stops are pulled out to make sure we can get them to the tissue to the relevant places. Um, and we've we've got research projects that are underway, but we, we everything takes a long time. We don't have all the answers yet. Um, but, um, you know, if if people are diagnosed now with this ultra rare form of GIST, um, they aren't told there's no research. <laughs> They're told you need to register with the Paediatric Wild Type GIST Clinic in the UK. And, um, you know, there are research projects coming out of this work. So we haven't got the end result yet, but we certainly have a more um, optimistic outlook. <laughs> anyway, that was it from me <laughs> on that question. Sorry if it went on too long. <laughs> no, that was really great to hear, Jane. And like you say, you hoped that you didn't have to go through that for Just Cancer UK to happen, but it's amazing that from that kind of place of trauma for you and hopelessness, what you're doing is actually helping make sure that other families don't have to go through the same thing. So now there's a community and there's research and there's hope for them yeah. when they get a diagnosis. And that's just incredible, like you say, from your kitchen table, just small groups and families using their own skills and resources to make sure that people have access to care and a community at probably at the most pivotal time in their lives. Yeah, I mean, it, um, how can I explain it? I think if it's your job to do this, um, you do it and then hopefully you can switch off from it and go home. The thing is, you can't switch off from this when it affects your, you know, somebody you love and you just have to 
you you put in every every hour. It's not a case of oh right, I finished that now. I'll, I'll sort of go away. And even if you're on holiday, I mean, my my family get fed up with me. In fact, my daughter, who um, unfortunately died three years ago, one of the Mother's Day cards she sent me not long before, um, basically said, um, enjoy your your um, day, mum, and get off your laptop. <laughs> Look up from your laptop, but I couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just uh, uh, like you say, without that personal experience, there isn't quite the same drive in the way than when it affects you personally. And I think that's why you've achieved such amazing things. Thank you. So thanks for sharing that, Jane. I know it's difficult. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what GIST Cancer UK offer to patients with GIST? Yes. So. Um... Obviously, we have a we have a website. We've we've rebranded and um, updated our website, and it it needs updating again, no doubt. But um, you know, for somebody who, um, I mean, thankfully nowadays most people are internet enabled. Obviously, when we first started, that that wasn't always guaranteed. You know, to eleven years ago, and and most often, I think at the time it was considered the uh, majority of just patients were sort of over fifty. And, and that some of those um, perhaps weren't the silver surfers that we we know about nowadays. But um, most people do get to um, either they or somebody in their family when when this happens, they start to look up on the internet. It's it's one of the first places people go. So our website um, contains information. Um, it contains a lot of news and updates about um, any clinical trials or um, any um, new drugs that might be available um, and any new initiatives. So, for example, um, it's designed also to try and raise awareness. I mean, we're really fortunate. There's there's um, a campaign being run by the NHS at the moment called um, Help, Helping Us to Help You. I don't know if you've seen any of the advertisements on the television in here in the UK, but um, for the very first time, we've managed to get a GIST patient as part of that that filming. So they've got Stephen Fry um, talking about prostate cancer. They've got um, Dr. Hillary at the end of the video, and then partway through, they've got a GIST patient who was diagnosed during COVID. I mean, that, that's that's, great. that's an amazing um, opportunity for us because we've we've never been able to get it so much in the public domain. And that the, the idea we want to try and get across all the time is to raise awareness because still when people are diagnosed with it nobody's heard of it you know quite often it's it's still that situation so um, a patient can register with us via the website as well so they can they can write to us and say I've just been diagnosed this is my situation and for every single person that registers via our website they receive a phone call from um, she's actually our life president Judith Robinson the lady that I first called when I I was um first in this situation with eve and um obviously they get effectively like a helpline call coming to them so separate from that we have our helpline um we've we found perhaps there are less calls coming to our helpline since we've had the implementation of this online registration but um when judith or one of the others if judith's away rings uh, a patient obviously we every person's situation is 
quite unique. So in some cases we can say, yeah, you're, you know, you're with the right hospital, you're being managed by the right people and everything sounds under control. And then in other cases, um, you know, we'll come across people who perhaps uh, have been to a local hospital and they're being booked in for surgery and it isn't a GIST specialist centre. And uh, the guidelines for this, the treatment of this type of cancer are quite specific. They say you do need to be treated at a centre that has experience of dealing with this GIST, purely because um, the, the, the tumours are very fragile, very vascular, and if they're um, operated on inappropriately, you know, it can result in the tumour bursting and therefore that patient is can never really be cured because they've got cells that have been lost and it's in their system, whereas a specialist can remove it in its capsule and the outlook, you know, if they can remove it before it's spread is a very positive one. So the helpline and um, you know, early registration um, is a way to help patients make sure they're they're actually being dealt with by the right specialists. Because um, it's not that it's not that hospitals who aren't specialists um, aren't trying to help. I mean, they're they're doing what they uh, believe to be the right thing to help that patient. But um, if they're unaware of the guidelines because they don't specialise in GIST, um, if that information hasn't got through to them, you know, hopefully it avoids inappropriate surgeries and um, inappropriate treatments. You know, there there are some there there are some types of um, GIST who respond or that respond really well to some targeted therapies. So the standard targeted therapies are imatinib usually in the first instance. And then if that fails or doesn't work, sunitinib followed by regorafenib. However, there are some patients, pediatric wild type GIST patients, um, a, a rare type of GIST called a PDG-FRA-D842V <laughs> mutation that doesn't respond to imatinib. And imatinib is an expensive drug. So to put them on that drug without having done mutational analysis, first of all, you know, isn't an inappropriate way to proceed. But some some potentially some some doctors might look at what the inf information is on the Internet and say, all oh, right, OK, we've got to prescribe imatinib without actually understanding the, the reasons why you would or wouldn't do that. So um, the helpline answers questions, obviously patients are usually very emotional, tries to, to help them um, uh, get in control, like we got in control of what was going on in our lives and have some sort of understanding that they're not alone. Um, then we have patient meetings, which enables patients to, to meet one another and, and they often um, make connections with patients in um, their local area. So separate from us because they've met each other they meet up for coffee every now and again and friendships are made you know because they're on a they're on a common path and um their families and most other people don't really understand what's going on but here we've got somebody i'm having coffee with and they're in the same boat as me it's very helpful um so what else do we do well obviously we we raise funds we have a um, couple of other um they're generally friends or so one of my best friends is leads our fundraising <laughs> <laughs> she, she she was aware of uh, well we, we've been friends for many years we actually went to school together and so when and, and previously one of my other friends did the same I mean they both knew my daughter very well and wanted to do something to help so they've they've helped with fundraising and and the fundraising obviously comes in the main from families and friends of patients 
and um, that is used um, to try and open up opportunities for research. So we have actually got some funding that has been used to fund GIST and obviously Paul's GIST research. Um, literature is the other thing. Um, we still produce GIST for beginners in its um, umpteenth uh, updated version. Um, that, that contains uh, information which are, is easy to digest. It's written by patients for patients, um, but obviously scrutinised by our medical advisory board before it goes out to make sure we haven't said anything which is inaccurate. But um, that, that booklet, I think um, we're getting more and more requests for that um, and, and other leaflets. I'm just trying to think what else we do. I mean, obviously we've got the tissue bank. Um, I'm heavily involved in that because because it's a rare cancer and our tissue bank is, um, I suppose, not part of the standard process. I don't know how we, that's one area we've got to try and find an answer to make it a more standard process. But it's at the Royal Marsden in London. And um, at the moment, the only tissues that go there are from patients who volunteer. They, they read it on our website. They say I'm having an operation. They contact me and I, I organise it. Um, I, I really am keen to try and find a way where it happens more like they're having an operation in a hospital and it's organised by someone else rather than me. <laughs> but we haven't got that far yet. <laughs> so it's still a bit on the kitchen table, so to speak. Um, yeah, so that's that's the sorts of things we do. And obviously we go I mean, um, I've been logging into the ESMO conference all this week, particularly for the um, uh, tracks that relate to GIST. Not there are a huge number, but there are. There have been some of significance. There was a major presentation okay. yesterday by 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 specialists from all over the world. So you know, they they give the latest information. Um, and when there's an appraisal, so NICE obviously appraise um, the drugs in, in England and then there's a system called um, PACE in Scotland. When there's an appraisal of a drug um, which is relevant to GIST, then um, we're usually invited to comment and, and add our views on the benefits of this drug and to give the patient perspective. Um, and um, we've been involved in, well, I've been involved in those probably since um, 2014, um, there was a situation where there was this third line drug called regorafenib was going to be removed from the Cancer Drugs Fund and that would have meant patients didn't have access to it. And from my perspective at the time, more importantly, it would have meant my daughter wouldn't have had access to it. So that that triggered a massive campaign and it that was amazing. Um, we managed to get 103,000 signatures onto a petition wow. <laughs> to keep that drug. And we even had people like Nigella Lawson and um, oh, great. Russell Brand. They were retweeting our tweets and, and it was one of only two drugs that, that remained available from the ones that were being taken away. There were 25 that were going to be removed from the Cancer Drugs Fund mm -hmm. and it subsequently went on to be approved by NICE. So it is a standard third line treatment now, but that that was a bit of a, well, a bit. I say it, it was two years of campaigning and it was it was a total distraction from everything else that we, we normally do. But the, the prospect of patients not having access to that drug was just impossible to comprehend. So um, we pulled out all the stops with that one. <laughs> so that's the sort those are the sorts of things 
we do. <laughs> well, that is an awful lot of support that you offer to patients with just cancer. I mean, from making sure that there's research out there, treatments, as well as getting the proper medical care that they need to get the best outcomes possible, and also just offering them a community and information so that they don't feel lost or isolated when they get their diagnosis is just incredible and I'm sure life-changing. There's one other thing I forgot to mention. We also have <laughs> a private online um, email forum, so patients have got 24 access. Once they've registered and they've said they want to be on the forum, they've got 24-hour access, 24 access to other patients. So if there are any issues, if they're experiencing side effects, um, but perhaps they're not as serious as needing to go to A&E, um, well, sometimes they are. So somebody yeah. will put there, I've got this, this and this problem and other patients will say, right, don't mess about, get yourself to A&E. <laughs> yeah, so, that's uh, great. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, support from another patient who's been through the same thing might be better than going to a doctor who isn't an expert in just yeah. cancer. So it's it's such a valuable resource for them. But it's used all the time and it is a fantastic. Well, the, the feedback from patients about that particular resource um, is very positive. I mean, they, they, they say it is a lifeline. So, um, yeah. So that thing that was set up by Judith and her husband in their kitchen years ago is still, it's still the same system and it's still working very well. <laughs> Amazing. Well, kudos to them. Yeah, definitely. So, Jane, you touched on it a couple of times, but we'd love to know about any of your key goals for the future for Just Cancer UK. OK, well, we, we have um, obviously a strategy. I mean, um, the, can the, the, the charity um, is um, run by a trustee board and every trustee is a volunteer, um, all of whom have been touched by um, just cancer. Um, obviously, we um, use the services of outside organisations uh, to facilitate much of what we do. But we are we're very keen because um, it, it, it's it's not uh, unusual for an individual trustee maybe sometimes to have more work than they can reasonably be expected to cope with, especially in a volunteer capacity. Um, myself included in that. <laughs> so, so we we have identified that we do need to expand. We do need to expand our numbers um, and. Uh, we're looking for ways that we can actually have um, additional resource, um, either paid resource that, because it's a very specialist skill for um, an individual project, so to speak, which wouldn't go on forever and ever a day because obviously we don't have a sustainable income, so we can't we can't um, do things any differently at the moment. Yeah. Um, but um, also volunteers. So. Um, our secretary, for example, the charity secretary, um, who has been the secretary ever since the charity started, said wow. that she wanted to continue as a volunteer and man the helpline, but she she felt she needed to step back from being the secretary. So we put out an advertisement on our um, on our list serve, our private email forum, to see if there was anyone in our community who had the right skills to do that. And um, yeah, somebody stepped forward. He's got ex charity. Right ex-charity and um, you know secretarial experience um, he's been uh, working in a senior position at university but he also happens to be a GIST patient 
or as he put it, an ex-GIS patient, because his GIS has been removed and it didn't spread anywhere. So that's very good news. So, so we do need to expand uh, because we want to be able to um, offer the same services as we're already offering, but we're offering it to a much larger audience than we used to. So when we when we started, the numbers of people registering with us, we were lucky, I suppose, if we got even five or six years ago, we were lucky if we got 50 or 60 new patients a year, which out of 800 new people being diagnosed each year seemed a very small number. But the reason for that was um, in the main, there are a lot of gists that are removed. And obviously mm. a, patient, a patient is glad that it's gone. They get on with their lives. The last thing they're thinking about doing is connecting with a charity. You know, they, they just want to forget they have this thing that's now been removed. Um, but but since we've had the online registration process, the numbers have increased enormously. And I think I think um, the fact that obviously there are more people out there fundraising for us. So we've got a football there's a football team in um, in Sheffield, um, the uh, Dinnington Football Club. They've had all these they've had all these shirts printed with our logo. They're playing these matches. They're doing fundraising. They've had they've had requests from America for the T-shirts or for the football strip, I should say. So uh, from other GIS patients, which um, you know, I, th I think word is is gradually seeping through into a wider audience because of the activities that are going on. So we do need more. We do need more um, skills. I mean, this is this is where your organisation comes in. Obviously, we we. We don't necessarily have huge amounts of available time to, to undergo training as such, but we think as we grow and we um, have more people volunteering their time and their services, that that we will need support um, to help us make that work properly. So um, mm. that's I think your organisation can be of assistance to us definitely in the future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are obviously have a wealth of expertise and skills in the health communication area in our agencies all over the world and I'm sure we'd be happy to help upskill your volunteer team just to help things run a bit more smoothly and help spread awareness and make sure that you can achieve everything you need to achieve. Yeah I mean research is the other thing so the funds that we raise um, some of them will be used obviously to um, facilitate projects that we we identify need to be undertaken so you know updating the platform that we use for our database and how the mm -hmm. database is structured and all those sorts of things in in-house but the majority of the funds that we raise are used for research and projects so um, making sure that we're visible to the largest selection of people who potentially are doing or planning to do GIST research to let them know that we we have some funds available that could be used. I mean, it's not it's not massive funds, but pilot projects are also a very um, <coughs> valuable research um, facility because um, most often, if it's rare, to have somebody even interested in doing our research in our particular cancer is a is a first. And but if they can't get any funding at all to even start the process of evaluating mm -hmm. this great idea they've got, um, you know, it's never going to get off the ground. So um, we want to make sure that we have, we continue to have funds available to be able to support research, even if it's at the earliest stages. I mean, ideally, what we're aiming at is 
<clears throat> clinical trials. That's the main thing of drugs that are going to be because at the moment there isn't there isn't a cure. If surgery is um, if surgery is not um, curative, and there isn't a cure, the the treatments that are available will prolong life. Um, you know, imatinib in particular is a is a particularly um, long progression free survival, but we need we need a cure. We are looking for something which will switch this off entirely so that somebody can be cured. We haven't got there yet for any of the different types of GIST. So surgery is the main tool. You know, if you have a GIST and you have it removed, um, some patients will be put on a drug because they are what they call high risk of recurrence. Others will be told, no, we're not going to put you on that drug. Low risk of recurrence. But if it comes back, then you may go on to the drug. <clears throat> Ideally, um, you know, the research that happens will find something which switches it off altogether. I mean, it, immunotherapy, people think that might work, but it, it hasn't shown uh, to be effective for some reason in GIST so far. So it's not one of the therapeutic options that, that could could benefit currently. Um, and if, if you're diagnosed with this, you, you are going to be hoping that there will be a cure rather than just, um, you know, a drug with unpleasant side effects. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I'll, I've rabbited on a bit long there. <laughs> no, it's really great to hear and such important work that you're doing as well and a really great aim. So we will continue to have this conversation ongoing with you, Jane, to see how we can support in any way throughout our agencies. And if any of the listeners would like to help out Jane with any of her challenges that she has, then please do get in touch with the patient partnership team. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jane. You're welcome. Thank you.